I'm David Madsen, and this is Primetime 89, a chance for me to visit and talk story, check in and catch up with classmates from a generation ago, finding out how they're doing, where they are, how they got there, and what experiences they've had along the way. To say Jamie and I have a history would be an understatement. We'd spent hours together every day throughout our formative years, and anyone who knew us knew what we were capable of when we hung out. After high school, we took different paths and had coming-of-age experiences over the following 30 years that shaped who we are today. Jamie's been through so much that if you wrote a book about it, you'd think it was fiction. Throughout these experiences, he's become a stronger man, a better father, manager, and a friend's friend. It's his grit and determination, his focus, and his incredible recollection of things that occurred decades ago that sets him apart. Let's visit with Jamie and his better half, Nicole Yoshimitsu, and get his two cents on life, relationships, and his method for success. Jamie, how's it going? I'm good, David. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> oh, I'm doing fine. So, so actually, you know, we've known each other for a really long time, right? It's mm-hmm. been since seventh grade, which um, that would we'd be about twelve. So that's um, many, many, many moons. I used to say many, many, many moons, um, and you know, been through a lot together. Too many moons. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going there? Um, so, where are you living right now? No, uh, we're in town. We're in the um, in Honolulu. Yeah. Uh, right outside of Chinatown. Right outside of Chinatown. <laughs> right next to the never. <laughs> right next to the crazy lady at the bus stop. What kind of stuff does she do? Did do you like hear her in the middle of the night or oh, yeah. all hours of the day or? Uh, yeah, just go, complaining about the government and. Uh, yeah, people not uh, understanding her. <laughs> She's crazy. You're talking about me. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. As I was saying that, I was like, oh, it sounds like I'm talking about her. <laughs> but. If, you know, you had an ideal career or job that, you know, you would get paid to do, describe for me what that would be. I'll be a counselor where I could help kids, you know, in the right direction. In high school, you should know, because we spent a lot of time at the counselor's um, office. Uh, That would have been my ideal job. But even more so, you know, when I say 20 years ago is when I, um, I kind of hit a down point in my life, right, where I had got fired from Cutter, having a grand time and (laughs) making good money. But then, you know, uh, we were young and um, well, I was very immature at the time still. It was easy money. I was making good money where I wasn't really doing anything other than going out there and making a friend. You know, car comes in, I, I just introduce myself. I'm here to look at a car. Okay, great, let's find it and I'll sell it to you. And boom, I'm making money. So it's like easy come, easy go. Right after we work, we go to oceans, we spend all that money we made. And it was just a, a cycle for years. And then I got fired. And I'm like, what, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, firing me. I'm your gun. But it was, all, 
it was all about I wasn't maximizing my potential. Where we end up in life is a culmination of personal and interpersonal struggles, the hard work we put into it, and a little bit of luck along the way. From selling cars, to being a father, to seeing his friends move on in their lives, it was eye-opening to realize that he wasn't doing the same. Here's Jamie's story as he tells it. Yeah, I think all of us kind of have those, you know, periods in our lives where we're transitioning from, you know, youth to adolescence and then to to adulthood and everything. Was there any experience that, you know, op- opened your eyes and made you think differently? And I, I got some in my mind too, but I'm wondering, what is yours? Okay, so what it was, I actually got fired three times from Mr. Carter. So I'm talking about the last <laughs> So, you know, so that means that, that they took you back twice. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, that and see, that's that's my life. I, it seemed like I always had exceptions. Um, Mrs. Souza made exceptions for me. Yeah. And I kind of used that to my advantage. And that was the downfall of me. I, I wasn't able to exercise the skills that I had, my skill set. I didn't and, and grow that skill set. I just kind of got through life waking up and just being me. And um, so when I got first fired, they brought me back because I was on un- unemployment for like six months. And then they're like, so unemployment, uh, how's unemployment treating you? Because I was really good friends with the guys there. I'm like, yeah, it's treating me okay, I guess. Why? Oh, you know, thought maybe you'd like to come back and uh, try out uh, the service department because I was in sales before. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, I'll give it a shot. And I don't know anything about cars, but it was a learning experience and I had nothing else. To, like, I really wasn't planning anything else. So I don't know if you're, you, you know, Ian Shering, uh, he's on the news. But anyway, his father is an awesome human being, a very talented salesman. You know, he pulls me in and it, it was the first time he had said, Look, Jane, seriously, you know, I, I was having this debate with him while he was trying to fire me, right? And he, you know, I'm like, why? I, I just made salesman of the month, you know, blah, blah, blah. I made it twice so far this year. Come on. What are you talking, uh, talking to me about uh, I'm not maximizing my potential? And he said, quite honestly, you know, you're, you're struggling to be mediocre. And I was like, what? Well, what, what does that mean? Because I'm not mediocre. I'm like your top salesman. Like, what did it mean to you? Like, or like, how, how did it make you feel? At that time, it didn't mean anything to me because I was so high on my own horse. Like, I, I, well, when did it click for you? When did you get it? Oh, it was the, after the third time they fired me. <laughs> after the third time they fired me. Well, the third like, time is the charm. So, <laughs> so, so, yeah. <laughs> You know, I was that something hit or, or clicked, and I think it was just the timing. You know, my son, he was turning um, maybe, I think he was about seven years old, and um, I was thinking, wow, where'd the time go? He's so big now, right? So because I had nothing to do, really, I'm unemployed. I started thinking more and more about him and wanting to be with him, and. Um, because he lived with his mom, 
I, I couldn't always be there for him or with him. It was, we had plans and, you know, you, and that's another thing I learned from that is becoming a better planner, you know, rather than shooting from the hip and just waking up and living life, whatever, right? I'll do this, you know, and then, so I, I'm thinking, oh, well, David's not here. Chiao is working. Kendall's working. You know, Mason and Ryan, they're working. Everybody's working except me. And then I'm thinking, I started to get depressed. That's basically what happened. I kind of became like a recluse. I just, you know, went back to home, my mom's, and um, started feeling really bad about my situation, how I kind of just took things for granted and um, never really planned my future. You know, from, I just never did, you know, out of high school. You and I both didn't really know what we wanted to do. Then you figured it out. And well, I still, you know, <laughs> everybody else seemed to, you know, that's the thing, right? So, you know, like every Matt, Matt was, uh, he already had his home, right? And I had nothing. So I really got depressed. And then the, the thought hit me, why don't you do something? Because you're not making money any, anyway right now. Why don't you do something that you would do for free? So what I did was I actually uh, volunteered my uh, time during uh, this period uh, with an organization called Epic, and I became um, a tutor to to um, uh, foster kids at Farrington, and uh, I liked it. You know, it gave me it made me feel like I had a, a purpose, right? The the kids uh, they took to me, and um, I remember calling you. You remember I, I called you. I found you. I emailed you first. I think. This, oh. Yeah, remember that two thousand four. You, you know what? I was gonna say. I think I remember getting a call from you. Yeah. In Iowa, did you call me? Yes, in Iowa? Iowa. You're in Iowa. It was and a that, crazy thing, kind of like out of the blue. It's like out of the blue. Oh, yeah, yes. You found me in Iowa. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing. I was. In, in the office there, just, I don't know, just really thinking about wanting to be home. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the moment where I started getting serious about my life. You're, you know, you're telling me you're a doctor and I'm going, holy crap, I'm so far behind. <laughs> and I need to really uh, start um, planning out my life. And then what happened with that was after we had spoken, my sister had, had given me a book before I left, and uh, it was by Max Ehrman, right? And it was called Desiderata. And um, there's a, a line in there. And basically, it's just uh, Max Ehrman was just saying, you know, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. The universe will unfold as it should. And that's the thing that stuck in my mind and um, to this day keeps me going. It's like, you know what? There's only so much we can do. There's really, we're, we're limited. But, you know, the universe is amazing. And it'll happen. It'll, it will unfold as it should. So have faith. You know, that's the message I got. Because to me, I, I, I believe in a higher power. You know, I'm a baptized Christian, but I'm not religious. But I... I do believe in a higher creative force. And that is the point in my life right there 
where I took myself seriously and was trying to make sense of it, plan how am I going to get myself in a position so that I can be um, a good example to my son. That was the first thing. Be financially responsible. When you're in the right place, in the right frame of mind, and you meet the right person, you just might get that opportunity you've been waiting for. I had just seen on TV the the week before this program on parking in Japan and how the, the parking garages are underground. And so I was fascinated by the technology and the thought came to me like, man, if I had five parking lots, I'd be set, right? Like I could make some good money based on what I'm watching. And lo and behold, I bumped into Sheldon Makanui, who's coming back from his corporate headquarters in Atlanta because he's running parking in Hawaii for them. And that's how it all began, was that uh, that card he gave me. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, if you need anything, uh, if you don't know what you're gonna do, give me a call. We need some valets at the Pipeline Cafe and at Queens Hospital. So, and that's, and is that where the universe began to unfold? Yeah, it's crazy, man, because it, it's done me well. And um, really, I didn't think that I was going to stay, you know, because when he gave that offer to me, I was like, really, a valet? I'm like 34 years old. Like, like I'm not, if I'm going to valet, I'm going to be at the Hilton or something, you know, a bellboy or something making good money. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, well, that's what I thought back then. But thank God what I... Uh, you know, I, I sucked up my pride. After a month, he actually called me and said, so what, how, how's it going? And I said, nah, I haven't really figured out what I'm gonna do. So he said, okay, then, you know, why don't you just help me out? So I said, fine. And uh, I, I found it mindless work, uh, but it was cool because I got to meet people and I'm just being nice, you know, like, hey, how you doing, you know? And, um, I did well, you know, it's a tip-based type of uh, income. So I ended up taking a lot of uh, cash home and I was thinking, oh, this is cool, you know, and then it just went from there. From that start in parking, you've been in parking ever since? Yeah. So I went from like an attendant to a valet. (laughs) I was at, and that's the thing, It's, it's so funny. It's so funny. I because when i talked to sheldon it was yeah we got these cool valet uh you know jobs over at the nightclub and the restaurants and 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 the hospital but my very first job was as an attendant at keikau like right right down the road over here behind that fish market and there was a gambling hall upstairs and it was just ghetto like i'm like Wow, and we so I'm not gonna make tips here. <laughs> like that. I was just, I, I was really he hooked me by the tips. He can make all this money. And I was getting paid six seventy-five an hour at a place not making tips. <laughs> so I, I was like, wow. Whatever. Like I had nothing else though. I had nothing else. So I really was sucking it, you know. Yeah, I know, but this is the thing. So I'm always about, okay, how can we make, how can I make the most of it, right? 
So after I, I, I get over it, you know, I just start seeing um, old ladies walking to the cars with a lot of groceries, a lot of fish, and they're having problems, right? So I'm like, hey, let me help you. And then I, I open up the car door, the trunk, and I, I put their food in for them. And they start tipping me. I found a way to make tips over there. So it, it turned out to be okay. And then it eventually led to like, okay, go over to the pipeline. We got regular hours for you there where I made really good tips. But I didn't really like the environment because you know, I'm old already. That's a 19, 20-year-old kid job. So then they moved me to the hospital where I really enjoyed uh, working at. So I was only in valet operations during that period in 2009, I went into facility management. Um, so I was there for three years. One of my guys had taken a car, right? A woman was uh, in labor and her water broke. So they left the car in the lane with the door open. And my, my guys are conditioned to just Park the car, run back, and take the next car in, right? So it was open, and security was going to put a blanket to cover the wets, the wetness on the seat. But Chris goes and jumps in the car, parks it, comes back, and he's like, was that girl a surfer or something? Because um, her seat is wet, and I didn't see a board. So did, did I lose the, the board? And they were like, no, Chris, um, shoot, the, the lady went into labor and, and that was her water, her, 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 it broke her. And he freaked out. He's like, oh my God, am I gonna get HIV? <laughs> He's like all scared. He thought he was gonna contract some type of illness. Yeah, I can tell that that story left an impression on you. That's where I started to really get my mind, you know, started thinking about liability and all that kind of stuff. And it was part of that, you know, the universe unfolding as it should for me, because at the, at the, in the beginning, it was all about, oh, this is cool because, you know, customer service came easy. You know, you treat people like you treat your grandmother, your favorite auntie, right? Yeah, so that came easily. But then there was more to the business. And that was like part two, you know, the liability side. And, um, I got that and I, I started to expose and appreciate every, everybody that was coming into my life. I started appreciating it because I, it was at that point in my life, I needed that. And I was like, thank you for your information, you know, and how lucky am I to have this experience uh, in a positive way, not in a negative way. And um, it just took off from there. You know, basically, I got to the company. The company I'm with now, I've been with well, for 15 years. But I started off with another company, and that company I'm with now, they, they purchased my previous company. In essence, you've been with them. For yeah. So what happened was, it, and it primarily it was because of our our uh, service. The hospital started talking to us about, hey, we're we're happy with your valet. Um, service. Uh, do you guys parking facility management? And we we really didn't. But <laughs> we're like, well, not really, but we can learn, right? And they're like, okay, good. Give us a quote. Uh, uh, so we put together a, a proposal and uh, corporate, the, the company I was working with, 
it was a partnership. So the local guy here, uh, he had like 50% and the guys in Atlanta had 50%. So the guys in Atlanta, they start to see how um, proactive I had become in, in you know, cold calling and, and getting accounts and whatnot. They saw that as an opportunity to sell. So the, the, the current parking facility management company was Standard Parking. So the guys in Atlanta contacted the, the Standard people here and said, hey, you know what, you guys are about to lose your flagship account. So Standard purchased Ameripark. And that's how I came to here in this position. You know. So what is it, that position again? Senior manager. Jamie and I had an early interest in health and fitness beginning in intermediate school, and we had a mutual interest in weight training as well. He has a lot to share about how he continues to keep active and maintain his health. So, so Jamie, one of the things that, that I noticed is that you've really, you know, put a lot of effort in is, is keeping healthy. You know, that, that I don't put much effort into it. I smoke cigarettes every day, you know, um, but what I do, because I know the bad stuff that I do, one of the things that I do is use the knowledge we learned in intermediate. We had a really solid foundation about nutrition and exercising. And that's something that it just stayed with me. You know, being a, a football player, wanting to play football, being the best that I could possibly be in this body, right, which is undersized for football. The only thing I could work on was to be stronger, bigger. No, I couldn't be bigger. I could be faster or stronger. And when we were in, I think it was seventh or eighth grade, in Mrs. Limboom's class, you shared uh, Uncle Gerard's muscle magazine, right? And I'm like, what the hell? What is that? Right? And I'll never forget. There was a picture of a guy, and it was a, it was just his arm. He was sideward, sideways, and he had his arm like this and he had some supplements like that. And I was like, what the hell, that arm, that mm -hmm. arm. And then you, you were telling me that, yeah, you know, you gotta do curls and this and that. And you had your uncle's weight, weight sets. And I went home and I told my mom for Christmas, I want a weight set. And that's what got me into weightlifting and supplementation, right? Because I'm small. I want to play football. Here's this magazine that is exposing me to all this information on how to get stronger, how to look a certain way. Uh, what is it? Kinesiology. 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 Remember that? Plyometrics. They had all these segments in that magazine, and I was like, damn, all this information. So, you know, that's what we would do. I remember talking to you on the phone when we were an intermediate, and oftentimes you'd be breathing hard. And I'd be like, what the hell is he doing? Is he jerking off? What the hell? And you're doing curls. You're doing curls while you're talking on the phone with me. So, you know, that that was us. That was like our lifestyle as 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, about, you know, working out. And it wasn't really working out. It was just messing with weights, playing around with weights. And it, it wasn't until we were really in football, JV and whatnot, where we started training, right? It just kind of carried over into 
my life going to college, playing football. After college, it's like, you know, this is kind of a part of me. So what's your motivation for going to the gym and making your muscles big, you know, for, well, or, or whatever? You know, is that your motivation? or No, no, it's not because of the gym. What it is, it's um, people think I work out. I don't work out. I maintain. I worked out a lot in college and when I was working at 24 Hour Fitness when I was younger, when the, the motive back then was to look good. And then, so um, what, what does it mean to you to, to like be healthy, to stay healthy at, at this point in your life? Okay, well, I'm not healthy. That's the thing. Uh, I'm not. I know I'm not. Why? Because I smoke cigarettes. I drink a whole lot of coffee. But what gives me, what stable, makes me feel safe that I'm not that bad, right, is that I, I do supplement. I'm almost religious that way with having protein drinks every day, you know, to the point where I drink so much I'm not even hungry. I don't eat real food. So I'm not healthy. I just do what I, I do to kind of maintain I didn't really start getting back into the weight room or the, the gym until after I got separated, you know, because I had all this time on my hands. What am I going to do? I could go out and drink, which is what I was doing, but it was not benefiting me. So rather than spend times in, uh, my time in the bar, I go into the gym and just kind of like mess around, kill time. And while I'm killing time, just pick up a weight and, start pushing it and it's just like wow i'm so weak i remember i could do that weight 20 times when i was younger so that became the challenge in my head like oh i'd like to see how far i can go at 40 at 42 right so i set these little goals to the point where i, I achieve them and i'm like wow i'm actually stronger than when i was when i was in college but because i had that that i put in all the hours back then Right, there's that term muscle memory, right? It seems to just come back quicker, but I'm just maintaining it. So I'm not really growing. I've been able to maintain my weight, you know, between 165 and 170. I don't want to get any heavier than that because when I'm, hit, when I'm at that 175 pound weight, it, everything becomes, I can feel I'm slower. I don't fit my clothes, I, I'm less mobile. So wait, wait, my wait, whole goal wait, is to maintain. How heavy are you right now? Right now I'm 170. Like 170. I, like seriously. I'm right now. I, I weigh myself every day. Because if he's one, huh? huh? Usually uh, it's about 168. What? With all that muscle, with all that muscle, that means that means that I'm heavier than him. I find that hard to believe. Maybe, maybe it's my bones. I told you, he's usually what? 168. Okay, so one question is, how the hell are you so light with all that muscle? How am I so heavy without muscle? No legs. Absolutely no legs. No legs, <laughs> no legs all but no. <laughs> no. I, I, that, that, that's the thing is I'm an ectomorph. You know, there's an ectomorph, mesomorph, endomorph. I'm a true ectomorph, and I built up to a mesomorph, not an endomorph. But it's just I have light bones, um, small frame, 
and I, I have a lot of mass on top. And quite honestly, I have a lot of bodybuilder friends, and, and their thing was, hey, as long as you keep your arms in shape and your shoulders, working your shoulders and your arms, you always look good in a t-shirt. And it's true. True. here's the thing, okay? If you don't do your legs, your top half can only grow so much. The minute I, I start working on my legs, that's when everything just boom. And I'm like, oh God, no, now I look like a, a, a pit bull. I, I, don't wanna, I don't want that. So um, I do very little just so that I can look presentable. That's what it is. But I do need to have that security and peace of mind that I'm strong. So I'll go and I'll push heavy you know, every so often just to make sure that I, I can push that amount. But my workouts are a lot of repetition to maintain that muscle that needed to push that, that, that one max rep, right? More importantly, my, my motivation is to live forever. You know, that's the thing. It's like to live as long as I can. So when I, when I go down to the gym, it's really not to work out, just sauna, get that sweat going, get that blood flowing. You know, I understand how important uh, good blood flow is. You know, my sister had a um, enlarged uh, prolapse uh, valve, right? Enlarged heart with a prolapse valve, and uh, her heart was working, like I think at ten, like either just a little over ten or under ten percent, where she was supposed to get a, a transplant. And um, the minute her heart started failing, though. The blood wasn't pumping to the other parts of the body. That's where she started having failures elsewhere, right? So I started to realize that, man, blood flow is really important. Having a strong heart is important. I don't like to run, so how do I uh, get my cardio, right? Circuit training, right? A lot of reps, uh, very little uh, rest in between. So I, I get that heart pumping. So I'm never in the gym longer than 20 minutes. I spend more time in the sauna than I do in the gym um, because it's a mental thing. I believe that the, the sauna, I sweat toxins out, right? I get that sweat going and then I, I see it. The, the blood start pumping. My veins start to, I become very veiny just by simply going into the, the sauna. When I, uh, my supplementation, you know, nitric oxide, right, the NO2 capsules and whatnot. Well, now they do put it in the protein drinks, right? So I have that, so I, I look veiny. And when I smoke cigarettes, it goes away. So I, I'm always like, oh, shoot, I need another protein drink, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. So I have this way that works for me. It may not work for everybody else because everyone's different. They got to truly listen to their body and figure out what works for them. Start now on your health. You know, in fact, I, I really encourage people to start now. Don't be afraid to fail you know, the first couple of days in the gym. Don't compare yourself to other people in the gym. You know? Focus on yourself. Compare yourself to yesterday's self or last week's self. You know, that's how, how people should look at it. I realize I'm never going to be six foot two, 220 pounds, right? I was very real with myself. When I started playing football, you know, I was undersized. My, all my cousins, I'm the smallest. I'm the runt of the litter. My dad is the runt of the litter. I couldn't expect to be 
any bigger than my dad. So I had to figure out how to use my strengths and my weaknesses, work on it. I can't work on my height, right? So I stopped comparing myself to others real, real young. I just worried about myself. I never went to the doctors for a long time because I was afraid that I was, you know, I was going to have something, you know, um, but I do anyway. And then I, that way I, I know, okay, what do I need to do to get better? Don't be afraid to get that help from the doctors. Go to the doctors. Find out what is wrong with you so you can fix it. Because if you don't find out what's wrong, it'll only get worse to the point where you cannot fix it anymore. So go and get it fixed. Um, you don't have to believe everything people say. But there's certain information out there that you could use to get you in a better situation than you are in now. I, I think that that's great advice. That's why. So, okay. So, Jamie, okay. I love food. So, let me, you talked about eggs. How do you like your eggs? Okay. Scramble. Why? Because I'm lazy. I just, <laughs> just throw it in there. I'm so lazy. I don't even scramble it before I, 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 put it in the frying pan and it just mix it up and then it's done but that's not the only reason it's not just because he's lazy he doesn't like the sliminess of like a soft boiled egg or a easy over egg what about the yolk you don't like the yolk no okay i can i can scramble is fine but if i eat a hard-boiled egg that yolk i'm not i'm not eating it interesting yeah can i eat it yeah i can because when it's diced up in a salad It'll get, yeah, you know, I'll eat it. I'm not picky, like, oh, I gotta take this yolk out. Oh, that is so gross. No, it, to me, it doesn't matter. I'm pretty low maintenance, um, but I have preferences. I have preferences. Yolk? No, no yolk. No need. I don't really care for that taste, but it's not gonna kill me. So if I happen to eat it, eh, not a big thing. So, so Nicole, salad sandwiches, oh, and that's another thing, right? I love egg, egg salad sandwich, okay. which is. Mayonnaise and yolk. Am I going to eat mayonnaise by itself? No. Am I going to eat a yolk by itself? No. But you put it together, I'll eat it. <laughs> That's what I love about life. People are so different. And I never thought I was picky. That's a pickiness, right? That's a certain way. Protein is very important for your, your body. I don't think people get enough protein, right? Now, how you get that protein? Oh, God. A debate, right? Debate, you, know, you should get it from plants and uh, meat, red meat. Don't get it from red meat. Get it from fish. Yeah, I, I don't really know, but what works for me is protein drinks. <laughs> so protein drinks with steak uh, every once in a while. I love steak. Okay. Yes. Oh, God. It, it could be any kind. You know, seriously. <laughs> but um, I think... Usually ribeye. The ribeye. I tend to really like that. The fat. I like the fat. I like that. Yeah, yeah, and the marbling is awesome. So, yeah. as far as when you order, or you cook a cook up a steak. How do you like it? Um, you like it rare, well done, medium rare, medium rare. Okay. Yeah. Nicole keeps reminding me that you know red meat's bad for you, and I, I, and my thing is I don't believe it because if I don't believe it, then it's not going to happen. That's my kind of. <laughs> Process. If, if uh, red I don't meat is wrong, yeah. I don't want to be right. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, um, fish. I, I I never ate fish my entire 
first 30 years, really, aside from poke, right? Um, but I, I started going to restaurants and, and yeah, try new things. So when I started, um, part of my job was to have lunches with my, my clients and whatnot. I'd say, hey, you know what? Let me try the fish. I never tried that, you know? I love fish now. I tend to eat fish, chicken, uh, switch it up between steak. What's your favorite way to eat fish? Like, what's what's your favorite fish dish? Oh, sashimi. Sashimi. Yeah, sashimi. That that's it. We rarely have it because it's so expensive, mm-hmm. right? So, but that's my favorite. But if you were to observe me, you wouldn't think it's sashimi because I hardly ever eat it. But that's what I like. What? So get this. Salmon, not my favorite fish, but if it's out of a can, I love it. It's, you see how weird I am? And interesting. But if she cooks it, I can eat it too, but I'd rather have sashimi. Yeah. Sashimi. With, with wasabi or, or, you know, shoyu. And that's another thing. Like, I'm not really a foodie. His son. Caleb's like, such a foodie. He's into like food porn. He's taking pictures of the food be- before he eats it. You tell me, Dad, what are you doing? Like, what? I'm going to eat. No, wait, I didn't take my picture yet. Remember he did that yeah. to us at Morton's? Kind of like what you just did. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I would yeah. consider myself a foodie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I'm like, I don't get it. I, I, I don't get it. Um, I'll be able to appreciate good food, but it's not like, Oh, you gotta taste this one. You gotta taste this one. You have to go here for it. You know, Caleb's like that. You know, one of the strengths that I think you had all your life was that you're very personable, really fun to be around. Seriously. And you're laughing, I guess, because you're certain people. (laughs) Well, I mean, the other gift that I think you have is that you can read people pretty well. So, you know, you have a sense of how to be interesting to them and, and, you know, be interested in them, just kind of develop and nurture those good relationships. So probably served you well in, in, you know, your roles over the years, you know? Yeah. And and that's the thing is um, I'm very fortunate to be here because, you know, when, when I was going through that period between 1999 and 2004, that was really dark. I was uh, really depressed to see everyone having a life, you know, succeeding, having, having uh, families, uh, homes. Um, that was an eye-opener for me, uh, 2000. I remember 2009, thinking we're, we're going to have our um, you know, reunion. And I just got promoted, so I was like, oh, now, look, everybody's on Facebook, and I'm, I'm looking at, Wow, everyone's doing well, you know? And Jesus Christ, like, I got a lot of catching up to do. Another pivotal moment in my life was the reunion. I stayed away from social media because I didn't think it was, um, I, I thought it was more of a manipulative, manipulative thing. When I actually went on because all, all the classmates were saying, well, this is how we're connecting and we're staying connected. I went on and I saw it as a good thing to be able to stay connected and see what's going on with everybody. I like that. And then going to the reunion, it was really cool because we're not kids anymore. It's almost as if I regretted 
not participating in school. You know, when we're in high school, for me, I never really went to class. I went to Haleola or Mr. Pakeli's office. I lived with Mrs. Souza. I had a lot of exceptions. Most of my learning was in Midkiff Learning uh, Learning Center because I just, whatever I was curious about, I read the books. I thought I was wasting time in the classroom. I only had a small circle of people I, I felt comfortable with, and that was you, you know, Kendall, the, uh, we played football with the football guys, you know. But then to, to go to the reunion and see everyone so open and welcoming, it's like, wow, this is cool. You know, I, I'm glad that our class, our classmates are the way they are, and I want to be a part of it. You know, totally different from being in high school where I didn't care about being a part of anything, right? Except the football team. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that, you know, and, and that's when I remember telling you, you should come to the next reunion because it's freaking awesome. We got some really good people in our class. What would you want to be remembered for? One thing I want to be remembered for, not giving up on myself to make good decisions. And that is hard to explain, but um, so what matters to me? That my kids are safe, that they have the opportunity to have a beautiful life, that they make the right choices so that not just themselves can uh, enjoy a beautiful life, pursue their curiosity and learn, right? The only way for that to happen is to understand God is good, to believe that. And um, there is a God and God is good. What do you mean by that? Find out. That's why you have your life. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Primetime 89. I'd like to thank our guest, Jamie Barboza, for taking the time to talk story with us. I'd also like to thank everyone who helped put this together. Nicole Yoshimitsu, Sean Maskell, Wendy Brown, and Kaylee Aquaro. And a special thank you to Dwayne Andres for the music and Elizabeth Matson with production and editing. I'm your host, David Matson. Be sure to subscribe to get the latest updates and news on upcoming episodes and join us again with another classmate on Primetime 89.